Hey everyone, welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today we are going to talk about how to stop those sleepless nights. And you know, if you know me well enough by now, you probably know I typically pick topics that are pain points for me. I'm not saying that all of them are, but sleep happens to be one of my pain points. And I know that I'm not alone because it's all over the media, all over the news, all over everything you read is about good sleep hygiene. Because we know that as trainers and fitness leaders in the space, that sleep is such a pivotal part of what gives our clients energy and stamina to do their workouts. It leads to, it contributes to our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health. So sleep is really the kind of the foundation of everything we do. And since I'm not the expert on sleep, and you definitely don't want to hear about my sleep hygiene, I brought on a friend and leader in sleep. Her name is Morgan Adams. She's a holistic sleep coach, and she's a wealth of knowledge. So Morgan, I'm going to bring you in and let you introduce yourself. Hey, thank you so much for introducing me. And you gave a great intro about some of the wonderful benefits that sleep brings us. So great. All right. Well, I can't wait to have you on. Morgan, do you want to give us, you know, kind of a quick version of, of who you are and what you do? I know you have tremendous background in this. Um, curious to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, my sleep story actually started probably uh, 17 years ago when I had a bout of insomnia that was caused by a personal crisis in my own life. And I had the kind of insomnia that I'm sure a lot of people listening might have as well, where you lie in bed and it takes you upwards of two to three hours to fall asleep. And as you might imagine, it is extremely frustrating to live like that day in and day out. And my solution to that was to ask my family doctor uh, what I could do. And I was given a prescription for a sleeping pill and I took the sleeping pill pretty much every night for about eight years. And I did not like the side effects the next day, but I really felt kind of trapped in the cycle because I didn't want to lie there awake for two or three hours. Mm. Um, I eventually stopped taking the pills. Uh, I did not go about it correctly. I, I went about it all wrong. I didn't know any different, but I basically took myself off the pills um, without any guidance. Um, I think that it's super important if you're taking yourself off a medication like a sleeping pill, to work with your prescribing provider to find a schedule that is going to work for you. So I ended up stopping the pills and it was not, not easy at all, but I eventually learned to sleep much better and did so for many years. And then there was a plot twist and that was in 2020, March of 2020, right when the pandemic started, I started to suffer with sleep issues again and I was determined not to go back to the full-blown insomnia, taking pills. So I started to research all about sleep and I got myself back on track. And I started posting things online about what I was doing, like sleep tips and stuff like that. And I came to find out that a lot of other people were struggling as well. 
And so I did not feel like I should be keeping all this to myself. And I knew that there was a need out there for people to get better sleep. And so that is sort of what led me down the road of becoming a sleep coach. All right. You know, isn't that interesting? Because I think that's always the best is when it comes from an authentic space. And so while I'm sorry for your sleep struggles, what I love is that you turn that in into an opportunity to help other people. Because it's true, if you've ever been there, and I've been there, you know, the um, almost what feels like insanity of being up for hours and just willing yourself to go to sleep and trying everything from counting sheep to moving beds to warm milk to you name it, I feel like I've tried everything. And so it is and then you start getting anxious about being anxious about not being able to sleep and it becomes this vicious cycle. So um, and you know, Morgan, I've heard your story many times about about going in, getting on medication. And while that might serve some people, it also can have some adverse effects for others. And so I love that you turned it into a life mission to become more holistic about sleep. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, and so let's, let's kind of talk about that then. First of all, I think that all of us know the benefits of sleep, or so we say we do, but maybe just let's kind of tackle that for a minute, because I think we know, but how much do we really know? Like we know that it leads to mental health, good brain health, that type of thing. Is there anything I'm missing as far as a critical benefit of sleep that, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you touched on some really good ones, but for your specific audience who is engrossed with health and fitness, I think it's really important to talk about the fact that we are able to gain so much um, from sleeping with our physical recovery. Like we need, if we're working out on a regular basis, we cannot survive off very little sleep. We need that sleep to recover. In our deep sleep phase is when our human growth hormone is created. And that human growth hormone actually does so much of the repair. So we need that, um, if we're into fitness, we need that deep sleep to repair our muscles. If we are concerned about maintaining our weight, we really need to focus in on getting adequate sleep because when we are sleep deprived, we end up having a hormone imbalance with our hunger hormones specifically. There are two main hunger hormones that get really out of whack. So if we are you know, sleep deprived on a regular basis, we're going to find ourselves a lot hungrier than usual. And we're also going not, we're not going to be able to, um, to resist foods at, that are, you know, sugary and starchy. So we really, really need that good sleep to help us perform at our best if we are athletes and fitness people. Yeah. I'm glad you touched on that because you're right. Performance is where it's at. And so I know for a fact, I can attest to the craving sugary, icky foods. Um, the, the, uh, the more sleep deprived I am, the hungrier I am. And I know I'm not hungry. I'm just constantly looking for sustenance. So, you know, Morgan, I just want to reintroduce you. I'm talking to Morgan Adams and she's a holistic sleep coach. My name is Angie Miller. This is strong mind, strong body. And we are talking about how to stop those sleepless nights. And so we touched a little bit on why sleep is important outside of mental, mental and physical health. It's just, you know, being able to work at our peak performance, whether that's at work or whether that's in the gym. So Morgan, you know, 
I want to know about an ideal sleep window. I remember I went to an acupuncturist once and I would tell him that I would stay up till the wee hours of the morning if I was working on a big project. And he is like, look, if you're going to be sleep deprived, if, if, you know, you're not going to get much sleep, can you at least try to go to bed? And I think his window was like 11 PM to 4 AM. Can you at least try to be to sleep during those hours? So what's your take on an ideal sleep window? What is that? That's a great question. So it seems like most people go to bed between 10 and 11, and that seems to be a good window for a lot of people. Um, but I feel like what we really need to look at is our chronotype. And our chronotype is basically, you know, divided up into a, a few different um, kind of categories. You've got, you know, your early birds, um, your night owls, you've got um, bears, <laughs> and about 50% of us are bears. So that kind of puts us into that 10 to 11 p.m range. So it's not going to work for everybody to go to bed at that at that hour because we have people who are really wanting to go to bed at nine. The biggest thing that I see, I think, is that a lot of people go to bed when they're not sleepy. They feel like, okay, this is my bedtime. And they just pick a random bedtime without really understanding their chronotype. So for example, they might hear somewhere that, you know, you should go to bed at 10. Okay. So they get in bed at 10 and they're not sleepy at all. And so what ends up happening is they lie in bed tossing and turning for two hours because they end up, uh, and they, they actually are a night owl chronotype and they might not, might not get sleepy until midnight. So I think it's really important that everybody kind of take a moment and figure out their chronotype. You can figure it out just by a quiz. Um, it's online, it's called thepowerofwhen.com. And you can find out your chronotype when your really your ideal window for sleeping is. So when you say powerofwin.com, are you saying win W I N? You that's good. W H E N when like the when why where. Powerofwin.com. You know, yeah. the minute we end today, I'm gonna go on powerofwin.com. <laughs> <laughs> or you can also type chronotype quiz. And you'll get directed to there's several one the one that I that I just showed you or shared with you the power of when it's by Dr. Michael Bruce, who's known as the sleep doctor. And so he basically came up with a few more chronotypes, but there's they're more like scientifically validated uh, chronotype tests you can take, but they're, they're they all kind of give you some general guidelines as to when you should wake up, go to sleep and your your ideal windows of productivity, which is super important for people who are high achievers, like all of us, all of us, you know, all your audience. So yeah, that's interesting. Cause you know, when you say that, what comes to my mind is a lot of times as a married couple, you try to go to bed at the same time because it's also good, um, couples hygiene, right? Yeah. They say to go to bed at together at the same time. And, you know, um, for lots of different reasons, we don't need to talk about all of those. And so it's good couple hygiene, but what if you have a different chronotype? So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So Morgan, I'm, you know, I hate to dismiss all the gentlemen out there in the audience, but is it true that women in midlife struggle more with sleep or is that just my story? <laughs> um, well, you are not alone. Actually, uh, midlife is when women start to really notice a lot more differences in sleep quality. Um, and there are a few reasons why uh, women in midlife are struggling. The first reason is kind of obvious. It is hormonal fluctuations all over the place. Our hormones are wildly fluctuating, and that really can impact our sleep, especially that dip in progesterone. Um, the second main reason midlife women 
maybe struggling more is that when women are having anxiety and depression, there's also an effect on their sleep. There's a real bi-directional relationship between sleep and depression and anxiety. And women just generally are more prone to mood disorders. And then the third reason that I see as far as why women in midlife are having trouble sleeping is because we are sort of like the sandwich generation. So what I mean by that is we may have children at home. Maybe we have teenagers still at home. We may have elderly parents that we're taking care of. And we also might be at the top of our career game. So we have all of these really competing demands on us that are creating a lot of worry and stress. And so that worry and stress is really prone to keeping us from getting the sleep that we need. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up because um, in a previous podcast, um, we were talking about women in menopause and she brought up the book, The XX Brain. And of course, I immediately had to start listening to it. And it's about how women are so much more susceptible to dementia and why and why they're just now realizing, okay, yes, there's plaques and tangles, but women have different hormonal makeup and go through postmenopause after the age of 60. There's so much women are, are much more much greater sufferers of dementia than men statistically. And so to your point, one of the things that was brought up was women are typically the caregivers. And statistically, it does show that it's out there that women play that role more. They're more in the sandwich generation and much more likely to be a caregiver. So yes, I think so. I think that the sandwich generation, I think the stress, all of that impacts women. And then to your point, they're often at the peak of their career, but they're also at the peak of, of oh my gosh, I have kids, but I have parents and how do I manage all of this? So, so that said, it's not to say that the gentlemen out there are not suffering from sleep and what have you, but let's talk about some strategies. Give us something that worked for you in order for you to get off your sleeping pills and that you know works for other people because you're a certified health coach, you're an, a certified sleep and recovery coach, you're a certified sleep science coach, you're a wink sleep coach. So I think you know a little bit about sleep. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you a few uh, really um, valuable pointers that have helped a lot of my clients. And I'll start with the regularity of your um, wake time. So if you can wake up at the same time every day, what it does is it strengthens your circadian rhythm. And it also makes you sleepy around the same time each night. So it kind of almost kind of almost guarantees that you're going to uh, fall asleep around the same time at night. A lot of people, including myself back in the day, would do something like this. We would get up at 6 a.m. for work, Monday through Friday, and then stay out or not stay out necessarily, but stay up doing stuff until 1 a.m. Um, and then we would sleep in until like nine o'clock. So there's that three hour differential between our weekday rise time and our weekend rise time. And what that creates, that huge time differential is something called social jet lag. And it's basically like the same thing as regular jet lag, but we've kind of created it for ourselves and we don't have the benefit of, of traveling. So what ends up happening, and I experienced this myself um, back in this time, is that you, with the social jet lag, how you end up feeling on Sunday night is like, you really can't, you're kind of wired. You can't really get to sleep because your sleep schedule has been thrown off for the last couple of days. And then you end up dragging on Monday 
And then by Wednesday, you're kind of recovering only to do it again the following week. So I really, really um, want to emphasize the importance of that, just getting up on the same time every morning, even the weekends. And I know it can be challenging. Now you do have probably about an hour leeway on the weekend if you've maybe stayed up a little bit later, but I would, I would definitely, for the sake of your own circadian rhythm, not push it past an hour of your normal wake up time on the weekend. You know, that's interesting. I went to, I was at a fitness convention a few years ago and I was at an Apple watch like launch kind of thing. And uh, interestingly, that was exactly what he said. He said, um, he said, stop focusing on when you go to bed, focus on when you wake up. And if you force yourself to wake up at the same time every morning, inevitably your clock will set and you will be tired enough to go to bed at night. So that was the key key factor was wake up at the same time every morning. And so that's something I was just in Mexico last week and it didn't matter what time I went to bed, boy, my clock had me up. And so I know for me, I, I am always awake at the same time, no matter what time I go to bed. So that I think is an excellent one. What's another one, Morgan, that is kind of science driven that you think helped you and helps other people? Yeah. Another one is in the morning, um, getting natural light in your eyes as soon as you wake up or as soon as possible. So uh, what ends up happening is if you go outside and expose yourself to daylight, and it doesn't, the sun doesn't have to be like completely like bright. It could be an overcast day, but you need about 10 minutes of that outside light. And the important thing about that is you have to take your sunglasses off. I see tons of women walking their dogs in the neighborhood who have their sunglasses on. And I want to say, please take your sunglasses off. Now, the reason why you want the sunlight hitting your eyes is because when the sunlight hits your eyes, it sends a signal to your suprachiasmatic nucleus. That's a tongue twister. Basically, that is your circadian pacemaker. And when that happens, a whole host of hormonal and neurotransmitter signals happen. So your melatonin production gets shut down your cortisol increases. You need that cortisol for your, your morning energy boost. Uh, you get a boost of serotonin, which later builds up over the day to convert into melatonin. So it helps all of your hormones kind of get regulated. Um, so it's a really, it's, it's an impactful practice that time and time again, my clients, because sometimes they're skeptical. They're like, eh, it's just like light, like it's free, you know, like how, you know, it's so basic. But it goes back to that whole kind of like ancestral living. We are really designed as, as creatures to, um, to get that morning exposure, that morning light exposure to set ourselves up for the day. That's super interesting because my eye doctor would tell me to keep my sunglasses on. So to protect my light eyes. So that's, that's interesting. So get up at the same time and then let that natural light in for like 10 minutes. And uh, I'm here in Charlotte and it has rained every day for, I, it feels like two years. And so, the, <laughs> so, but uh, so in those situations, how do you get your natural light when it's a gloomy day? Is it still just the natural light is enough in and of itself? Well, so I'm in the same boat right now in Richmond. We have had rain literally all day. So um, if you, you know, if you're really kind of like a tough person and can, and can go outside with your raincoat and umbrella, more power to you. I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> what I do on the days when I can't get outside is I have a light box 
it's actually sitting above me, giving me light for this right now. And it's basically just like, it's called a happy light. And um, it's meant technically for folks who have seasonal affective disorder. And so you basically wake up and you look at the, you know, you, you kind of situate the light in front of you for about 20 to 30 minutes. And you want to make sure that the light box has about 10,000 lux, 10,000 LUX. Um, it's not a perfect substitute for natural light, but it's, it's enough of a substitute, I think, to suffice for when you actually cannot go out in the morning. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've seen those light boxes. I've never owned one. I've always been intrigued by them, especially for those who suffer from seasonal affective disorder, depression. I, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of studies out there on them. So that's interesting that you use that good to hear. So, um, you know, and all of this resonates with me and I'm going to guess that anybody out there who's ever had a sleep problem, it resonates with you too, because you know, we're willing, I think, to try anything. And so I like the getting up at the same time, getting natural light in first thing in the morning. Is there something else you would add to all of this? Like, hey, do this too. You probably have a million strategies, but maybe we could talk about some of the yeah. top ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think for your audience, I'm just going to kind of reemphasize the value of exercise as far as getting good sleep. Um, what, the, what the data is showing is that having a regular moderate to intense exercise practice daily is sleep promoting. And we also know that the consistency of time of day of working out is quite important as well. Then there's the question of, should I work out in the morning or the evening? Well, there's mixed data, but the data tends to kind of lean towards lean, um, working out in the morning is probably the best bet. The benefit of working out in the morning also is that sometimes you can do this outside and get that natural light at the same time. So like you could walk or jog in the morning. A recent study uh, showed that there might be more uh, sleep promoting benefits with strength training versus cardio. That was a small study. So they need to look at this more, but I thought that was really interesting um, that the strength training could actually be more sleep promoting. Mm. And I recently read a study that said that folks who uh, do 75 minutes of moderate to intense uh, working out a week are less prone to being on sleeping pills. So mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And I'm, you know, your, your audience is very fit fitness oriented, but I think that kind of knowing just kind of reinforcing that benefit, it's helpful. Yeah. And I'm going to guess to all of that, that it is more important because most of the stuff that I've read is that it's the consistency again, the consistency yeah. in the time of day, because your body adjusts to that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, some people work and they're not going to get off till six and that's when they're going to work out. But that's as long as that's part of their consistent routine. So Morgan, I want to reintroduce you. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and I'm talking to Morgan Adams. She's a holistic sleep coach. And we're talking about how to stop those sleepless nights. And so we've talked about how you have to wake up at the same time every morning. When you get up, you need at least 10 minutes of natural sunlight. And we've also talked about how a light box could be a substitute. And then the importance of exercise, preferably at a consistent time every day. So Morgan, before we move on, because I do want to ask your thought on sleeping pills. Before we move on, is there any one last tip that you'd want to add to that before I shift the gear here? 
Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I could get into this pretty heavily, but I'm just going to touch on it briefly is I think it's very important to establish strong morning and evening routines. I know people talk a lot about the evening routine. It's very important. You want to give yourself that wind down time, preferably without um, bright lights, blue lights and screens. But also the morning routine, I think, gets overlooked. And the reason I find the morning routine so important is because it can set us up for being able to buffer stresses throughout the day. So if we have that really intentional, strong morning routine that consists of mainly three things, like the movement, um, mindfulness, and mindset. If we can combine all of those things, we're really setting up our day to buffer the stress, which can, over time, if you, if you don't buffer the stress from the beginning of the day, it can just really pile up until the night where you really just find yourself too stressed to sleep. So I just I feel like people underestimate the importance of the mornings because good sleep starts the second your head, your feet hit the floor in the morning. So I just wanted to kind of reinforce the mornings as that strong routine too. I'm actually really glad you did that because I, I am a huge proponent of that, that how your morning goes is a strong indicator of how your day is going to go. And a lot of that is just because it depends on how resilient people are. But if you're not super resilient and you don't brush off stress readily, whatever happens to you in the morning, you carry with you. This is why that morning routine is important, because if people get up, they, they hit the snooze button five times. And then the next thing you know, they're rushing to get to work. Then the next thing you know, they're stuck in traffic. Then they're late. Then their boss is mad. Blah, blah, blah. And you see how it just spirals and the day goes from there. So absolutely. I'm the biggest fan of a morning routine. Yes. Evening routines are good, but morning routines are what sets the tone for the day. And, and if you're not a good person at just brushing off the ickiness, then you need that morning routine because that's how your day starts and it goes from there. So I think that's perfect. Thank you for bringing that up. So Morgan, I do want to ask your thought on sleeping pills um, because they're, they're highly prescribed and we're not saying saying yes or no to anybody. Always listen to your physician. Um, that is everyone's responsibility and duty to talk to healthcare providers. But what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I feel like there's a time and a place for sleeping pills, but what ends up happening quite a bit, what, from what I'm finding out from my clients and my own personal experience, honestly, is that sleeping pills tend to be given out for, um, reasons that may not be warranted. For example, I interviewed a, a podcaster interviewed me recently. She went to the doctor and said, Hey, I'm about to travel. I might have a hard time sleeping. She was given sleeping pills without any kind of plan as to when to stop taking them, which was, you know, she, her, her, she didn't really have a problem. She was going to travel. So I feel like when the doctor prescribes, the doctor also needs to set up a plan as to when you're going to be able to, to, when you should stop. Because these pills, if you look at the package insert, it's meant for short-term use only. I mean, it's really meant for like a two-week type of situation. So things like deaths, divorces, job losses, crises like that, then, you know, it seems to be like that's the scenario where a sleeping pill could come into play. Um, but they just, I think they just get overly prescribed in this, in, the, in this time. And doctors don't really have the sleep science training, unfortunately, with med with medical schools, they really only give them just a few hours of coursework in sleep science, 
which is really sad because we spend a third of our lives sleeping. So they should really know a little bit more than they do about sleep. Well, and I'm assuming you mean doctors who don't specialize in sleep. So you're yeah. saying like your PCP. That yeah, exactly. I should have clarified. It's your, it's the PCPs, you know, they're sleep doctors who are, that's who you go to if you've got a sleep, you know, a really a significant sleep disorder, or sleep problem. Yeah. Well, and I don't hear you say, don't go to your doctor. I don't hear you say your PCP doesn't know. I hear both of us saying, listen to your PCP, but, you know, always be cautious of your own health and, and maybe have a plan of action. Like, okay, if I take these pills, how long do you suggest I take them? Can you help me wean off of them? That type of thing. And that makes complete sense to me. So Morgan, there are two things that I am just, I am just so antsy to ask you before we have to close our show. And that is what is more important, sleep quantity or quality? Because <laughs> I'm always reading my Fitbit yes. like. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Well, the quality actually edges out over the quantity. Um, you want to make sure that you have um, sleep that is not completely disrupted all the time. I mean, it's okay. It's, and this is a, this is a myth that I'd like to clear up. Actually, it's, People get very um, bent out of shape when they wake up in the middle of the night. It's actually really normal to have brief awakenings during the night. We, are, we were designed that way to have brief awakenings to scan our environment for predators. So it's natural. The problem is, is when we begin to sit and lie in bed and we, we have worry and anxiety about when we're going to fall back asleep. Um, so I would say, you know, the quality, definitely the, the quantity is there's generally the seven to, to nine hour kind of range that we want to, to shoot for, but there are people who are able to be fine with a little bit less than seven hours. So I would rather see somebody get six and a half hours of really high quality sleep than eight hours of very disrupted, broken sleep. So um, but they both matter. But I would say quality is going to reign supreme over quantity. Okay. You know, and I'm I'm glad because I think that too. And I've read a lot about, you know, the quality versus the quantity. And, and generally I can do pretty well on six something if it's good quality sleep, but I'm really shooting in now to get a, a minimum of seven hours and have it be quality sleep. So that leads me to something that you just said, which is those middle of the night wake ups. And you're saying, let's normalize that, that that is, you know, pretty typical. What I have understood and read a lot about is what the big mistake I used to make is if I woke up in the middle of the night, I would look at my watch because my, my brain says, Oh, it's time to wake up. And then I would look at my watch and it would say three in the morning and I would immediately just start stressing. Oh my gosh, I'm wide awake. I thought it was 6am. It's only 3am ruminate, ruminate, ruminate. And uh, so what, I don't know if this is a brief answer, but what do we do when we wake up in the middle of the night? I've learned not to look at my watch. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I talk to all of my clients about removing clocks from their bedroom. So it's, it's hard for some people, but we, whether like we, it doesn't matter what time it is when we, when we wake up at 3 AM, it's not going to change the time. So we don't really need to know what time it is. So that is my first sort of like, let's reduce the anxiety that we, that we encounter by looking at the clock. Let's take the clock out of the room. Um, okay. So let's just say that you do have these wake-ups. If you wake up at 3 a.m. 
and you are lying there for what it seems to be like more than a half an hour. Again, you don't have your watch on, but it's, it feels like it's a half an hour and you're starting to get really frustrated is literally remove yourself from the bedroom, go to another room in dim light without any kind of devices and just do something relaxing, read, knit, crossword puzzle, whatever you find relaxing and enjoyable. And just do that to pass the time until you become sleepy. And then you go back into the bed and resume going to sleep. So that is, that is a tip that I, that is very well used. It's a tip from cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And it's kind of a tried and true um, tip for people when they can't fall back asleep after waking up in the middle of the night. Mm, I, I really like that one a lot. Actually, it's interesting because I'm listening to you thinking, how come I didn't think of that? So I stopped looking at my watch, which helped me tremendously. So to all of you listening, it really does help. I don't spiral anymore. But the thing that I do do is I go to another room. The one thing I don't do is try to just read myself to sleep. I, I count sheep. I do all those other things. And sometimes it doesn't work. So I think that that's a great idea. Just have a dim light, sit down and read because I'm an avid reader anyway. So try to do something. I think my mindset was always don't stimulate yourself. Don't stimulate yourself. But you're kind of saying not stimulate yourself, but do something relaxing that will ultimately make you sleepy. And yes. I think I've stayed away from that thinking I'm going to get stimulated, but actually the only thing stimulated at that time is my brain. So I think reading a book would take that down a little bit. That's a great yeah. tip. Now, if you are going to read, I had a client run into the situation recently. She followed that uh, protocol, but she read a thriller <laughs> <laughs> and she learned her lesson. She's like, there's certain content I can't read. So if you're going to read, just kind of keep in mind the content. Like if it's a edge of your seat thriller, maybe that's not the right choice. Okay. I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. I was thinking that same thing because I'm in a book club and I always read books that just I can't put down. So I'm thinking I, I pick up an old college textbook or a textbook from grad school. Those inevitably put me to sleep because they sure did back then. Right. You know, maybe they'll have the same effect. So Morgan, I'm so glad you came on. I think we're going to have to have you on again in the future because there's so much more about sleep that we can cover. But um, to all of you listening, all of our NASM and APA listeners, I really appreciate you joining us for Strong Mind, Strong Body. Morgan, I really appreciate your expertise on sleep. Um, Morgan, if anybody has a question for you or wants to reach you, how would they do that? Uh, yeah, thank you for asking. So my website is morganadamswellness.com. Um, if I have the option to, for anyone to schedule a free consultation, if they would like to chat more about their sleep struggles, um, I'm always open to that. Love talking about sleep. So there you all go. All right. Well, thanks to all of you for joining us once again, um, on strong mind, strong body. Do let me know if you have a subject that you want me to deep dive into or find an expert to talk about, but I will see you all next week. 